0: You may feel like you've heard this one before. Grumpy demagogue lays claim to territory of neighbouring country. Confects altogether debatable historical justification. Conducts extremely dubious referendum to lend further patina of legitimacy. President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela has clearly been reading the Vladimir Putin playbook. This week, he has declared that Venezuela intends to help itself to most of Guyana. First time as tragedy, second time as farce, and so on. Fans of bleak irony will at least be enjoying the spectacle of Venezuela attempting exactly the land and resources grab of which Venezuela's Western apologists routinely accuse the United States. For other interested parties, Guyana, the rest of South America, the US, this seems like roughly the last thing anybody wants. Is Nicolas Maduro serious about this? What happens if he is? And can anybody stop him? This is The Foreign Desk.
1: The government at this point does not believe that Venezuela can ill afford to be on the wrong side of history it can ill afford to attract major sanctions that would come from an invasion of Guyana and that it can ill afford the consequences, the economic repercussions to its people who are also still in a place of crisis. But there is a high distrust of Venezuela and that high distrust stems from its disregard for international law, its disregard for the ICJ's orders. So the government, for those reasons, remains on high alert. It's not leaving anything to chance.
2: Since the referendum, he's now created a department of Venezuela for Essequibo and put a general in charge of it. He's said the state oil company can start issuing licenses for oil exploration in the Essequibo region. Now, I don't know how either of these things actually happen because, of course, it's still controlled by Guyana. You know, there's this sense of it just sort of slightly slipping out of his control, hurtling towards some... End, that we're not really sure what it is, and I'm not even sure he knows what it is. He's looking, quite frankly, very
0: erratic and somewhat weak. You're listening to The Foreign Desk. I'm Andrew Muller. Earlier, I spoke to Donet Street, an international maritime law consultant and senior foreign service officer at Guyana's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I began by asking Donet how seriously Guyana is taking this threat from Venezuela.
3: We are taking this threat very seriously. Venezuela is displaying, I think at this stage, the zenith of a pattern of aggressive behavior towards Guyana over the last five decades or so. Ever since we've had the situation in 1962, Venezuela then first formally claimed that the award that defined the boundary between Guyana and Venezuela was invalid. And since then, despite the fact that legal and peaceful options have been provided for Venezuela to prove this claim of nullity, we've had over the years, a series of really aggressive behavior from the Venezuelan statements emanating from the government actions and taken by the Venezuelan army. It's it's a pattern really, successive governments of Venezuela. We've had in 2006, the Venezuelan army shot and killed a Chinese citizen in the cuyuni River. The cuyuni River is the bordering river. So, yes, the threat is taken very seriously. We would hope that this matter does not escalate into a physical confrontation or that we would hope that good sense would prevail in the government. Venezuela would not take any military actions in furtherance of its illegal claim. But of course, we remain prepared and we have sought on all sides, both diplomatically, militarily, legally to ensure that we have the support that we need. And we have, and I must say, yes, in addition to South American countries, we have the support Canada did communicate to the UN Secretary General and the Secretary General on December 1, once the court had made that order, We provided that information to the Secretary General. The Secretary General actually did share that information with the UN Security Council. So we're taking all necessary measures, but we would hope that this matter would not escalate into an actual confrontation.
0: That was Donette Street of Guyana's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And joining me now from Georgetown is Kiana Wilberg, a senior journalist at the Kayater newspaper in Guyana. Kiana, first of all, talk to us a bit about this disputed territory of Essequibo. What actually is it like? Because to be clear, we're not talking about a small patch of land
1: you're absolutely right it's by no means small it is actually two-thirds of the country's land mass and it's quite important because it is the home to many of our indigenous groups it's also a large body of forests it's home to the lungs of guyana if you will and it also forms part of the lungs of the world it's rich in minerals And off of the coast of the Essequibo is where Guyana made its commercial discovery with oil.
0: So since especially the referendum was announced, and I think once the referendum was announced, everybody could probably have taken a wild guess as to what the result was going to be. But how seriously has Guyana's government been taking this threat from Venezuela?
1: The government has taken this threat very seriously, The government has been rallying support, not just from our regional neighbors, but international partners as well. The government, as far as I am aware, has made strategic contact and communications with the Organization of American States, as well as with the United Nations Secretary General and also with the Commonwealth Secretary General. The members of the media, the local media, we are aware the government is taking this very seriously. And not only have they been upping the conversations and the dialogue they've been having with their international partners for that sort of diplomatic support, but we understand that there's also strategic conversations that's been taking place to provide Guyana with the sort of military support that it needs.
0: But on that thought, how seriously specifically is the government and indeed Guyana's people taking the prospect of actual conflict with Venezuela? Does anybody worry that Venezuela actually is this serious?
1: From what I've gathered or what I've observed, the government at this point does not believe that Venezuela can ill afford to be on the wrong side of history it can ill afford to attract major sanctions that would come from an invasion of Guyana and that it can ill afford the consequences, the economic repercussions to its people who are also still in a place of crisis. So I don't think for those reasons, the government believes that Venezuela would want to invite such economic harm for its people. But There is a high distrust of Venezuela, and that high distrust stems from its disregard for international law, its disregard for the ICJ's orders, specifically as we've seen, the disregard for the ICJ's provisional measures, one of which states that Venezuela should refrain from all action that would affect Guyana's control over its Essequibo region. And we've also seen historically Venezuela's disrespect for the 1899 award because it observed, it it respected, it honoured the 1899 award for over 60 years. But when Guyana wanted its independence, that's when we saw the first complaint being lodged of, you know, Venezuela having an issue with Guyana holding on to Ezequiel. So the government, for those reasons, remains on high alert. It's not leaving anything to chance.
0: And just finally, I guess, because this is what you'll have been involved in in recent days, how is Guyana's media covering this? Is the media trying to, I guess, keep a balanced perspective on this? Are there any fears being expressed in big headlines that Venezuela's military could come rolling over the border at any minute?
1: No, I think the media has taken a three-pronged approach. And that's is one, informing the public about the facts of the case, informing the public about Guyana's position. Secondly, it is about countering some of the misguided statements that we've been seeing coming out of Venezuela and ensuring that there's a proper response to that. And thirdly, trying to ensure that we do not cause unnecessary panic because We're a very small population, and particularly around this time, December, is when everyone is normally in the Christmas spirit, the Christmas feeling. And we have Venezuela on the other side trying to stir up a sort of crisis or semi-crisis. So the media is trying to play its role in educating in pushing back on some of the misinformation or some of the narratives, as well as keeping the calm, keeping the peace.
0: Kiana, thank you. That was the Guyanese journalist Kiana Wilberg in Georgetown. You're listening to The Foreign Desk. You're listening to The Foreign Desk with me, Andrew Muller. And joining me now from Washington, D.C. is Benjamin Gadan, Director of the Latin America Programme and Argentina Project at the Wilson Centre. Benjamin formerly served as South America Director on the National Security Council at the White House. And we're joined from elsewhere in London by Dr Christopher Sabatini, a Senior Fellow for Latin America at Chatham House. Um, Benjamin, we will start with you. and, And just for fun, let's consider Venezuela's claim on its own merit, do they really have much of a leg to stand on in terms of the legal case they claim to be attempting to make?
4: Look, this is a really old dispute. It predates Guyana's independence in the late 1960s. It's become more interesting of late because of these massive oil discoveries and a lot of political factors within Venezuela. So that's what's clearly motivated the attention that Venezuela is now paying. That doesn't mean that there's not an interesting legal case to make um, on behalf of the Venezuelans, it just means that that's not the case of why Venezuela is suddenly talking about Guyana.
0: I mean, the big question, Christopher, is how entirely serious President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela is about this. I mean, obviously, he has made the legal case. He has conducted this referendum, though I don't think too many people are necessarily willing to take its legitimacy to the bank. He does appear to be trying to force Some sort of climax to this issue. But Christopher, it is often the case, I think, that you can end up putting yourself in a position where you are almost obliged to act dramatically, having made this much of a fanfare. He will look more or less ridiculous, won't he, if Venezuela doesn't make some sort of attempt to grab at least some of this part of Guyana? Yeah,
2: that's right, Andrew. I think it's, you know, it it sort of got out of hand. I think he staged the referendum in part. For domestic reasons because of uh there's supposed to be an election in 2024 he's not very popular i think he wanted to paint the opposition into a corner to make them look like they were unpatriotic for not supporting this because venezuelans do deeply believe in fact in the schools and in the government offices you they include esequibo in the ma- their own map of venezuela so it's very um ingrained in their sense of uh, national consciousness uh, but what's happened now is i think he was both embarrassed as you mentioned andrew because not the turnout in the election wasn't what he expected, and then he's kind of caught red-handed, it seems, lying about it. And now there's a really steady drumbeat that is, I think, demonstrating a certain amount of weakness, a certain amount of intemperance that I think is surprising. I think most people didn't really take this seriously as a threat. They thought an invasion was improbable. Since the referendum, he's now created a department of Venezuela for Essequibo and put a general in charge of it. He's said the state oil company can start issuing licenses for oil exploration uh in the Essequibo region. Now I don't know how either of these things actually happen. Because, of course it's still controlled by Guyana. And now just uh the other day he said that they're going to start building houses in the Essequibo region. So, you know, there's this sense of it just sort of slightly slipping out of his control and as you say, I think it's hurtling towards some And we're not really sure what it is. And I'm not even sure he knows what it is. He's looking, quite frankly,
0: very erratic and somewhat weak. Well, that does actually cue up, Benjamin, a question I did want to pose. And it sounds like a glib question, but at a moment like this, I don't think it is. And it is about what we understand of the character and the temperament of President Maduro. Now, he has been president for about 10 years. He has spent that decade trying to further the personality cult of Hugo Chavez, but without the personality of Hugo Chavez. He has in that time made a series of extremely peculiar decisions and pronouncements on a variety of topics. So the question I guess I'm asking is, are we entirely sure that President Maduro is basically with us? I don't think there's a lot of
4: evidence that he's not a rational actor. He's certainly not an intellectual He's a strange figure at one point campaigning. He claimed there was a bird communicating Chavez's interest to him. This is Uh,
0: the kind of thing I mean, yes.
4: (laughs) Indeed. And look, in an authoritarian system, if someone is speaking to a bird and doesn't have a lot of checks on his authority, there's reasons to be concerned. But I think he has acted more or less strategically throughout his time in office. And frankly, he survived in very difficult circumstances with the United States, the Europeans and others, trying many different strategies to dislodge him from power. And in fact, in the international sphere, he has created new alliances and deepened others. And actually, when it comes to the escalation that we've seen recently that Chris was just describing, there's actually a fair number of motivations for it that are rational from a political standpoint, even though they might get out of hand. I mean, you might consider the fact that our Venezuela is thinking about holding freeish and fairish elections next year. Well, a crisis of this nature would give a good excuse to postpone them or cancel them entirely. You might think that a government that's anxious about the figure that won in October, the opposition primaries. Well, this is a great excuse now to arrest dozen members of the opposition for claiming that they're unpatriotic, they're treasonous. They tried to obstruct this referendum. If you want to have popularity and you're as unpopular as Nicolas Maduro is, well, this is a great issue. As Christopher pointed out, all Venezuelans seem to agree, el es equipo es nuestro, that this territory is in fact Venezuelan. And so you maybe get a rally around the flag uh, effect from this whole process. So though it could get out of hand, I think there are some strategic reasons to be riling up Venezuelans about this territorial conflict. He does do some
2: pretty erratic things. But, you know, there's the expression crazy like a fox. You know, you misunderestimate him, to quote George Bush, you <laughs> underestimate him at your own peril. And that's what has happened. I mean, again, I'm not sure he knows entirely where he's going with this, but I don't think we should underestimate him.
0: Chris, further to that happy thought about whether President Maduro is entirely sure what he's doing, if he decides that he does wish to attempt to seize this territory by force, or if he finds himself pushed into that position. How sure are we whether or not Venezuela's military can actually do that? Because to be clear, we are not talking about a small amount of territory. This is not one of your penny ante border disputes where somebody thinks it needs to be six feet to the left or something. This is a huge chunk of Guyana and it is a huge chunk of heavily forested jungle Guyana. This would not be a walkover.
2: That's exactly right. And of course, first of all, the, the Venezuelan military is larger than Guyana's. It would win in, in any sort of open conflict, uh, but it's not battle tested. It's deeply corrupted. It's got actually more generals in it than the United States does. So Venezuela is a country of 20 million people. The United States is 320 million people. Um, it's clearly a little top heavy. But as you say, this terrain is not one in which uh, you can invade easily. We're not talking Ukraine and Russia's invasion. It's heavily forced. There really are no infrastructural links over the, the rivers that divide. So there's that issue as well. There's also the issue, quite frankly, of waterborne type threats, because most of the oil that Venezuela is coveting right now is offshore wells. They could potentially try to seize those or wreck some havoc there. I think more than an invasion that you would see, sort of like an annexation of Crimea or something, what you'd see is more sort of incursions here and there, provocative ways of trying to sort of incrementally increase the territorial claims within the Esequibo. You know, this is not going to be a case of tanks rolling over the border and locking down Esequibo. A lot of it's really unpassable even.
0: Well, we should talk a bit about how this is being seen across South America, other than obviously with great trepidation. Ben, first of all, is there anywhere else in Latin America any sympathy at all for Venezuela's position here?
4: Venezuela has some fellow travelers who will essentially agree with anything the United States opposes, right? And so in this case, you could imagine figures like the great Evo Morales from Bolivia, one of these, you know, OG members of the so-called pink tide who are still kicking around and have influence. Figures like that, the deposed, you know, former president of Ecuador who lives in Belgium in exile now, but does control his political movement. Those types I think would remain loyal to Venezuela and again, mostly they'd have this reflexive agreement with anyone who's sticking it to the United States. But in general, no. Look, this region has a lot of problems. The last thing that it needs right now is interstate warfare. And I don't think the Brazilians certainly don't want it. I don't think anyone needs any more refugees in the region. It's already suffering an unprecedented flow of migrants. The last time there was serious interstate warfare was in the 19th century. You had the War of the Triple Alliance, the War of the Pacific. These are sort of ancient conflicts, and no one in Latin America wants to see major war in the hemisphere. I will say the Venezuelans are sort of cleverly trying to brand this as somehow opposition to Exxon and to U.S. imperialism. If you see the way they talk about it, they sort of mistakenly say, oh, you're siding with Exxon. Oh, I mean Guyana in our territorial dispute. It's cute, but I don't think it's persuading anyone.
2: One of the things, as is, is Ben was saying, I mean, for Latin Americans, the absence of interstate conflict for centuries, there was a small incursion between Peru and Ecuador border conflict in 1995. There was a, a football war in Central America in the 40s. But the truth is, the, the absence of this is really a point of pride for Latin Americans. And so I think most, you know, even Lula, who's taking great pains not to sound like he's taking his side, I think this would really goes against their sense of, of a region, their sense of solidarity.
0: Chris, you mentioned there Lula, and obviously Brazil is the biggest in every sense of the word regional player here. There are reports that they have sent troops and they have sent armour towards the border that Brazil shares with both, I think, if I've got my geography right, Venezuela and Guyana. What options does Brazil really have, though? Is it the kind of relationship, is Brazil the kind of regional power that can essentially get on the phone to Caracas and tell Maduro, get back in your box, this is not going to happen?
2: Well, the president's foreign policy advisor, Celso Amorim, who's a former foreign minister and a former defense minister, traveled to Caracas. It was after that trip that they beefed up their military presence on the border. So I don't think it went well. I don't think Brazil would get militarily involved. Their inclination is always to find some sort of multilateral solution to these things. So consequently, I think what you would see is is not so much an open conflict between Brazil and Venezuela over this, but Brazil trying to toss it over, and Lula's already talked about this, to regional organizations in particular. He wants to sort of resurrect the Union of South American Republics, which is defunct. Actually, it was created by Lula before, but it fell on hard times. But using that and other mechanisms to try to resolve this peacefully. And so I think you'd probably see that more than any sort of effort to really confront or bolster Guyana's military in a way that could risk military conflict.
0: Ben, obviously another American power slightly further away is, of course, the United States, which will be, one, taking a keen interest in this, while two, thinking this is approximately the last thing they feel like dealing with right now, what with one thing and another. They've announced a stepping up of joint military flight drills with Guyana, which were happening anyway. But really, push comes to shove. How deep would the United States want to get into this? How deeply would they feel obliged to get into this?
4: It's one of many reasons to doubt that Venezuela is serious about invading. I think the United States is firmly in Guyana's camp here. The International Court of Justice has said that the status quo is Guyana controls this territory. The United States has backed strongly that determination. The Secretary of State spoke to the president of Guyana recently and reiterated the importance of a peaceful and democratic region. Venezuela is apparently not peaceful and is certainly not democratic. So I think the loyalties of the United States are very clear here. How far the United States would go to deter Venezuela or defend Guyana is not clear, but certainly I think the United States administration would be under a lot of pressure from Congress to arm the Guyanese. The Guyanese themselves have the resources to purchase those arms, though their defense forces are very small. They're swimming in oil money right now, one of the fastest growing economies in the world. And so, again, if this did erupt into a genuine armed conflict, I think the United States would step up and make sure that the Guyanese had some capacity to defend themselves. Look, again, this is one of many reasons why by the authorities in Caracas are probably having second thoughts. Another reason has to do with the capacity issues that Chris has just described. If you might recall in 2008, then Hugo Chavez sent tanks to the border with Colombia thinking he might instigate an armed conflict. And I think they had trouble even with the logistics and supply lines of maintaining that very small, modest deployment at that moment. And the armed forces have deteriorated significantly since then. Venezuela is all but a failed state when it comes to its ability to administer the armed forces and other. Uh, public institutions. So one thing that the US may be thinking is that this would actually provoke the military uprising that Washington has long tried to catalyze, has cheered for, and even directly tried to instigate. If the Venezuelan military were humiliated or forced into a situation that it couldn't manage, you might end up seeing the kind of palace coup or military coup that the United States has long hoped would instigate a political transition in Venezuela. So the U.S. is certainly focused on this, interested, and there's a couple of different outcomes that despite the chaos involved might be positive in terms of U.S. interests in the Western.
0: And Christopher, there's another, I guess, great power interest we should consider here, which is one of Venezuela's few friends anywhere anymore, which is Russia. And I know there has been a temptation over the last couple of years or so to look at anything that kicks off anywhere else in the world and start seeing the shadowy machinations of the Kremlin somewhere behind it. But in this particular instance, is there actually any possibility that Russia has been cranking this up? I think it's quite likely. I'm not one to indulge in conspiracy theories,
2: but I do think they have a very close partnership. In fact, Russia developed for Venezuela a cryptocurrency called the Petro, which was primarily used to launder Russian money and move it around. That's now defunct. I guess it did its purpose. And the Russians do arm uh, the Venezuelans. Clearly, the Russians would love to see a front and a conflict opened up. And and I say this, and at the risk of being offensive, in the U.S.'s backyard, it would give them great delight. I wouldn't be surprised if they're sort of egging Maduro on for this as a distraction. The Russians also want to see Donald Trump reelected. So it's also quite possible that they're doing this to demonstrate some weakness in Biden. There's allegations before that the Russians and the Saudis were holding back oil to try to drive up the price of gasoline at the pump to hurt Biden's reelection chances. This could play into it as well. But the question, as Ben was saying, is, will this actually play out in that way? And if that's the case, I think it's quite likely that he's going to find
0: his support within his inner circle and within the military probably weakening. On that thought, Ben, and this is where we're trying to be, I guess, as optimistic as we can possibly be about a situation which does appear to have an awful lot of echoes of Eastern Europe circa early 2022 about it. But just thinking in the recent days, these reports of several opposition politicians being arrested in Venezuela, does that perhaps suggest that What Maduro actually wants is some sort of excuse to crack down on his opponents ahead of that election we were talking about earlier, that despite the rhetoric and the risk of escalation he is running, he doesn't actually want a war. He wants that.
4: Well, in terms of the ominous way to look at it, it also has echoes of course of 1982 in Argentina mm. where a similarly unpopular authoritarian regime decided to attempt a military incursion in a long-standing territorial dispute in the Falkland Islands in order to, you know, rally support. It didn't go well for Argentina and for that regime but you know i think we should keep that in mind that this is the kind of conduct that you sometimes see from unpopular embattled military regimes or civilian dictatorships as is the case in venezuela that said i think you're absolutely right I mean, i think there are a lot of other political objectives that might be being pursued right now well short of an invasion and one of them might very well be to justify additional crackdowns on the opposition, to make sure that anyone who's remotely competitive is excluded from the elections that might very well take place next year, to make sure that you're dismantling the infrastructure of the opposition, and to use the cover of a border dispute and a potential armed conflict to justify all sorts of authoritarian tactics and repression of the opposition. So it's absolutely possible that Maduro is not seeking at all to invade Guyana but is using this to justify lots of efforts to minimise the chances that he is evicted from power democratically next year.
0: Ben, one question which may be leaping to the mind of the passing listener is, why does Venezuela want this part of Guyana Anyway, I mean, I know it's very oil rich and I know that there are the offshore oil reserves that Guyana has, but Venezuela already has the world's largest oil reserves and appears incapable of successfully exploiting those.
4: But Venezuela's oil industry has collapsed to such a degree that it actually might be motivated by the idea of seizing the oil offshore of Guyana in this region. The numbers are widely known, but really extraordinary. You know, Venezuela used to produce over 3 million barrels per day and now produces like 730,000 barrels per day. And so again, as silly as it sounds that the country with the largest oil reserves in the world needs to invade its neighbor to seize its oil, that very well is a factor in all of this.
2: Yeah, And just to add a little bit of data point to what Ben said, Guyana supposedly has 11 billion barrels of recoverable oil. So if you're a floundering oil power, you can't but help look across the border
0: at a region you've always thought was your own and think, Ugh, that could have been ours. Benjamin Gadan and Christopher Sabatini, thank you both very much for joining us. That's it for this episode of The Foreign Desk. We'll be back next week. And look out for The Foreign Desk explainer available every Wednesday. The Foreign Desk was produced by Emma Searle and Christy O'Grady. Christy also produces The Foreign Desk Explainer. To contact the Foreign Desk team, you can email Emma at es at monocle.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Monocle Magazine and our free daily email bulletins by heading to our website at monocle.com. From me, Andrew Muller, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye.